when you said hi, it came out as like a blob of electronic noise. Welcome to Clock or Counter. I'm Ryan Young, and with me is James Wiseman. Okay, so today we have a variety of topics, but I think we have a pre-topic that James is going to start with. The most important thing is you did buy a house in Durham, but you're not actually moving here yet. You're at least one or two years away. So I feel like we needed to clarify that for anyone who got too excited that you're moving. Although it already feels like you live here because just before we started the call, you said, hey, can you pick me up from the airport tomorrow at 7 a.m.? And I had no idea you were going to be here tomorrow. But I guess I'm waking up early tomorrow. Yeah. Also, I think Amazon packages are already arriving at your house to take to my house. Here I was excited that someone had sent me a toolbox for some reason. (laughs) And then I remembered because you do something that I think is kind of peculiar. When you send packages to my house you put my name on it. And I guess you have to do that some places. Like I know in New York, sometimes they won't deliver if it has the wrong name associated with the address. But it confuses me every time because I don't, especially if it's in a brown box, I just like, oh, I I get packages way too much. This is probably for me. And then I open (laughs) it up and you'd think I would remember, but half the time I'm just like, what is this? But actually I have a very quick story about this because it involves the great Fabian Dinklage. This was a life-changing moment for me. One time I got in the mail a perfect pair of pants. It was just the best pair of pants I'd ever had. I could wear it to work. I could wear it around town. They were really easy to wash, but they looked like dress pants. And I was so thrilled that I got these pants and they were like my size and they were exactly what I needed. And I started calling people I knew to figure out who had sent me the gift of these pants. (laughs) And no no one said anything. I tried to contact the company and I was like, will you please tell me who sent me these pants? I just want to thank them. I really appreciate it. And then many, many months later, I get a message from Fabian and he's like, do those pants I ever sent to your house get there? And I was like, oh yeah, about that. They're my favorite pair of pants and I wear them all the time. Uh, and I don't remember how we worked that out, but I t- took his pants surprising that I think he must've been getting pants for a friend. Cause there's no way pants that fit Fabian would fit me cause he's twice my height, but I'm, um, I'm really bad. If you send me a package that's for you, I will forget and just be like, Oh, like someone also something clearly <laughs> is wrong with me. I'm like, someone sent me a gift. That's what I think every time I'm like, I've never gotten a gift. No one's ever just sent me a gift via Amazon by the mail. But every time I get a package, I don't expect them. Like someone sent me a gift, a toolbox. Yes, I need one. <laughs> I know every time I come to your house, I'm like, do you have a wrench? And I've never seen a single wrench in your house. So I have to buy a whole toolbox just for this okay. wrench. For the record, I definitely have a wrench. You definitely used it while you were here last time. No, but I, I do... use a pair of pliers. <laughs> as in oh, come on, wrench a... pliers. They serve, <laughs> they serve the same, same <laughs> function. But I do like it when you come here because you buy me all the things that you need while you're here. And then inevitably, I find them useful. For instance, I'm looking at two monitors that you bought years ago that just serve serve my purposes now that you're gone. Yep. Although now you can start reclaiming that stuff because you have a house here that you need to fill. I know. The things that are coming now are going to be at my house, unless you need a bike rack at your place. I don't need a bike rack. But I'm also sure, based on what I know about you, that you will buy things just to have them at my house. I mean, I just, I already know that. Like, you'll probably buy a bike rack for my house for your bike. Yep. 
we're not totally there yet. Like I will get a, like a weight, a squat rack and some weights for your place for me. But okay. We're not, we're not at that point yet. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I look forward to it. Then, then it will be kind of like I am getting gifts in the mail, even though yep. they are technically yours. <laughs> Anyways, yep. what else do we have on our agenda? I think we were going to do some jam doctoring and mm-hmm. what else were, oh, we're going to talk about our routine building experience in co-op with you, me and Will. Oh, and then you also got through, I'm going to guess at least 25 seconds of my last study tape. 20, I was a solid two minutes. Wow. I was like eating because so I was distracted. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a record easily. <laughs> yeah. That's what were like, your thoughts? Uh, I thought the first like one minute and 55 seconds were like everything I've seen before. And then I saw you do the single leg spin, which you've been talking to me about. And I was like, it looked better than I thought. And it looks good in a very good way. So you know when, who fix it for me. It was Brendan. Brendan. So, yeah, I was actually kind of excited about this. So I was trying it. So Brendan's actually in town this summer, which is great news. So I'll be able to jam with him a couple couple times a month at least. And we were out there and the grass at Duke is really nice right now. It's super short. It's kind of like golf course grass. So I thought it was a good place to try these one-legged spins. And I kind of lost them and I couldn't figure out how to do them. And Brendan just gave me the simplest, most obvious advice, which is often good advice. If you're having trouble with somebody who's like, just look at the disc. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess... <laughs> It's like, I can tell you're not looking at the disc and you're not spotting it. And then when I tried doing that, it like sort of started to work. And I had a couple of them that day and that was a Friday. And then by Sunday I could hit them pretty consistently clock and counter. And I was like, that is great. Cause you kind of never know when you start learning to move, if it's going to be a move that's going to take you 10 years or 10 days. And that <laughs> ended up being like a 10 day move. And some of that is probably because I got really good advice from Edo and Brendan and if I hadn't gotten that advice, maybe it would have been probably not a 10 year move, but at least it would have taken me a lot longer. Yep. So what I was going to say about it is I think a requirement for this to happen is spotting the disc. But when you come around your first rotation, you change your balance based on where the disc is. So you fall into the disc. So like spinning on one foot's really hard because you're always almost always going to fall out of the turn. Cause like mm-hmm. pirouettes are super hard, but you orient your body after the first spin. So like the second spin, you fall out in a way that intersects with the discs path. And that is so critical. And it's like obvious for, I think any dancer would be like, you're doing it correctly. That's great. It's so rare that you tell me I'm doing something correctly from a dance <laughs> perspective, especially, but I also think one other thought I had on that was there's times when you're learning something that seems really specific and you think when is this ever going to be useful again? And it's shocking how often it is. So for instance, I think the reason I could learn how to do that pretty quickly is that I put so much time into spinning and spotting and all these other skills. And you would think that, Oh, like I learned how to do triple spinning catches this way, list spotting. That's probably the end of those skills. But then there's still like other levels where that framework really helped you. So it's kind of a, I guess if I was trying to come up with a moral here, which is what I'm trying to do, is that if you really lay good foundations for things, then everything else you learn later is a lot easier. 
And I agree, hundred percent. Sometimes that's true. Like when you like the number of times I'm learning something, I think that's just so specific. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But then five years later, I'm like, you know what? I'm really glad I learned how to do X because now it's making it a lot easier to do this other thing that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. I know there's only so many ways the disc can fly and your body can move. It's and ballet so has all the ways your body can move. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like, I feel like some days I think freestyle is just limitless. There's just so many different things to do. I'm never going to run out of ideas. And then some days you're playing and Daniel always jokes about this. Uh, it makes me laugh every time. It's just like, Oh, I'm out of moves. I'm out of, I'm out, I mean, you play for like 10 minutes. You're like I'm out of moves. That's all I know how to do. <laughs> and it feels so limiting and it just feels like, you never know what kind of day it's going to be. Is it going to be a day where it feels like everything in the universe is open? Or is it going to be a day where you feel like there's five different things you can do with the Frisbee and you wish there was more? Mine is definitely weighted towards the running out of moves, probably nine out of 10 times. Yeah, but some of that's by your own design and philosophy, which we should talk about at some point. But yep. you have a pretty strong belief that, I don't know, I guess I agree with you, but you kind of say you only need like 20 moves to be a great freestyler, which I think... Yep. There's a lot to be said for that. And I know a lot of people are just already getting outraged during that, but we'll make that a podcast <laughs> topic. But it's actually should be a really positive thing to think about if you really master 20 pretty hard things. But if you really get them down, you could be an amazing freestyler. I know. Like one of them is a scoop brush, which will take you five years to learn. So yeah. it's not it's not a simple 20. Exactly. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Anyways, well, I'm just good. Two minutes. I mean, that's a record. That's a record. Any new <laughs> listeners out there, Ryan rarely watches more than five seconds of anything I put together, but study tapes are pretty rare these days. I've only had, I think two in the last two years, maybe three years. Are they all just Edo editions now? That, I made a joke about that. I don't know if you, you I don't know if you saw it on Facebook because <laughs> I did literally make that joke, but yeah, they're, they're pretty much all Edo editions at this point for sure. Okay. When do you think you would ever make like the will edition or like someone who came after or that you taught? I mean, first Edo technically came after, but Mm -hmm. not that long after Andy kind of learned in a, his own private universe for a long time before coming out, but you could count that. I don't know. I don't think it's that far away. I think it's going to be a combination of me kind of being out of the loop for a while and then seeing someone like Will come back from his, world tour and all the new moves he's learned that I've never seen before. But I made like an Aton video once, I think. So I've been open to making okay. additions based on things I learned from people that started a long time after me. Okay. All right. Moving what's on. What's next? Yeah. What's next? Are we talking about building the routine with Will, you and I? Yeah. So why don't you start us off there? Okay. So... Will is one of the new Duke jammers that James is fostering. And he is just happened to be able to go to Columbia, which hosts the world championships this year. And when that opportunity came up, I decided to play with Will in pairs. And then James, who doesn't have any partners, was like, we should just play in co-op since we're all right here and we can build a routine in 20 minutes. So... Well, it's even more complicated <laughs> than that because I was going to play with Edo and Graf and then Edo couldn't come. And I was honestly relieved because I knew I was kind of getting ready to retire and I wasn't sure I wanted to go through the rigmarole of making another routine, especially one that would involve me traveling to Europe. 
And then I was thinking, well, maybe I would not play or I play with you and Pavel because we just won and we could defend. But then I called Pavel and Pavel was basically like, no, I'm not that interested and just, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to say, <laughs> I don't want to go into the details of that conversation, but it's a very interesting conversation. And I guess the shortest version of it is Pavel felt like it wouldn't, he wanted a bigger challenge than playing with me and you, which I totally respect. And I think it was also just a funny conversation where we both wanted the same thing, which was not to play co-op together. And we were both trying to really massage that message. And then we finally realized we had the same goal and we're like, Oh great. Like you agree. Awesome. <laughs> then let's not play. Uh, I love it when that happens when you're, you, th you think you need to be really diplomatic about something and then you realize they want the same thing. So then yeah, me, you and Will, I wasn't sure I'd ever do it cause I was worried about playing favorites with Duke people, but he was the only one who could go to Medellin this year. He's really putting in a lot of time and effort into freestyle. He was already playing with you and, and I'm excited. I mean, first question, I guess, is how do you feel about what we put together and is it what you expected? I would say it is far beyond what I expected and I really like it. Like, I don't think I built a routine at this level before. Okay. Well, first of all, you just super jinxed us, but what do you mean <laughs> by, what do you mean by at this level before? It's so complex. There's, it's at least twice as complex as my next complex routine, which was probably Pavel, you and I routine last year in co-op. Which is funny because we built it in about three hours, but <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess that is how it goes when it's me and you who've obviously played together a lot. And mm -hmm. then Will, who was kind of in the passenger seat on his first big routine building journey. Yeah, I thought it was very smooth process. Would you agree? Yeah, but tell me more. What was your perspective on it? I think the, f okay, here there's multiple parts. The first part was when we would try something, it would work on like the first or second try. Yeah. And there were several things that we've never done before. And we're like, can it be done this way? And like, how many discs can I hold in one hand? And it would just work. There's at least five or six things that, one of us is like, I have no idea. I just thought of this right now. I've never <laughs> seen it before. Let's try it. And then more often than not, it worked within a few tries. And that's what we're going to do. But yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised because I still, I was really having trouble getting motivated. Like you were here for two weeks and admittedly I started a new job. So I had to go travel a little bit for work, but I did not, we were not making a strong effort to actually take the time to put the routine together. And when we had time, we mostly just jammed. But then finally, the last couple of days you were here, I think we really did it like the last three days you were here. Just so silly. You were here for two weeks. We wait for the last three days to build a routine. But I was practicing with Will. So I made, I used up all that time. Yeah, you used your time. Yeah. You and Will were practicing. Um, but the last three days with me, we built the routine. And also Virginia was somewhere in those three days. So... <laughs> It was really more like two days, but we put it together really fast. I think sometimes being under the gun like that, where you don't have a lot of time can be nice where it forces you to just be like, all right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And we really push through it, but it's a super creative routine, I think. But my main concern is it's still a little bit too hard. I think for Will, what do you think? Mm, no, I think Will's going to handle himself based on what I've seen. So you, like, uh, 
Okay, I have a couple opinions on this. Okay, you go and then I'll tell you what I think about it. Okay. I think we do the heavy lifting. That's oh, what yeah. makes it. Yeah. For sure. And there's a lot of parts where Will contributes a lot, but I don't think he's ever the crux at uh at like there's no like lynch pin moments where Will has the disc. Like he has <laughs> he like carries his weight, but he's not like the linchpin of the co-op fair i just thought it was interesting because when we were building it i was really surprised by how well it felt like it was going because we only did five run-throughs which i know because i recorded all of our attempts and the reason and we were feeling really good in the moment the reason i'm a little worried about all the things we asked will to do is that when i was trying to edit the video to see what all the co-ops are supposed to look like he has some trouble spots where we didn't have a lot of times where he hit what he had to hit, but that's because we're asking him to do a lot of hard stuff and he's only been playing for a year and six mm-hmm. months. And we do have a few of the sections where the theory is that Will's going to have to learn how to do that move before <laughs> worlds, which is always an interesting experiment. But yeah, I do think we do a fair amount of the heavy lifting And we do what I think is kind of a smart routine strategy, which is the weak points are always in places where it's relatively safe for a drop. So kind of what you said about Will not being the linchpin, there aren't a lot of situations where if Will makes a mistake, it messes up an important sequence or like messes up the beginning of an important sequence. It's like the difference between good and bad drops. And like, exactly. Will has all good drops. Yeah, because he's not in a position to make bad drops. So anytime he's going to drop it, we're already at the middle of a combo and he has time to do whatever he needs to do to get back into the rhythm of the routine. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say about building it. We really did only do about five run throughs. So hopefully we'll have more time at some point to put it together. I'm also a little bit nervous about the wind in Medellin because we built the routine inside and it is pretty complex and there's a fair amount of lower spin moves, but I don't, I think it's pretty win independent. Okay. He thinks there, there's, there's just not there's very just much like brushing. A, That's the biggest thing. There's like cuffing and all of some, these. Yeah. They're, they're high spin though. And we changed some other parts to be more high spin, which helped a ton. Yeah, I I'm, guess so. <laughs> It was pleasantly, it was pleasantly fun, fun to build and I'm excited to do it. And I hope Will has a good first worlds. I think you made me start thinking about what's the most complicated routine I've ever done. I think it was my routine with Matt and Jake because it involved a lot of timing of body positioning, but this one's pretty complicated. Do you think this one's more complicated than our routine with Pavel? I think so. The routine with Pavel. We did, we always had like a sequence. It was never like two at the same time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think it'd be cool. I hope people like it. Anything else on building that routine? Wait, what was that again? Anything else on building that routine with Will? I have one more thing. Do you think it's different when, or how would you compare when you and Daniel as new players play with the experienced Paul Kenny? versus will playing with me and you as experienced players like how are those situations different (laughs) i don't know i mean i do think it's actually really significant 
that I'll use the Chris Cohn framework here. So Chris Cohn, one of my favorite New York jammers, he always talks about A jammers and B jammers, and he considers himself a B jammer. And he's always <laughs> saying like, I'm looking for the AAB jam. Like he's like, I want to, <laughs> he always wants to jam with better players. So he's like, but every time he walks into a jam with me, he'll look at me and he'll be like, this is an AABB or like, this is a BBA. Like, he always <laughs> assesses it. It's probably, I don't know. It's a New York thing. We're, I guess, a little more, comfortable with talking about stuff like that but anyways so i think it's a big difference that paul kenny when he played with me and daniel it was a abb situation mm-hmm. whereas with will it's a baa situation so there's 30 percent more top player energy or whatever so i don't know I, i'm i guess what i'm being honest about it which makes us sound bad i feel like paul kenny was surprisingly democratic like I'd be curious what he thinks about it. It's obviously a long time ago, so my memory might not be that great. But it didn't feel like, or I don't remember it being Paul just saying, like, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, which would have been fine with me and Daniel. But I kind of remember us sitting in Daniel's dorm room, pen and paper, trying to figure out what we were going to do and coming up with ideas. So, And I think that's to Paul's credit that it was more collaborative. Whereas I do think... And if I'm being really honest, I pretty much walked into the spin factory and was like, here's what we're going to do. And some of that was (laughs) we didn't have a lot of time. And another part of that was I actually was feeling it was a weird combination of not very motivated to work, but feeling very creative. So that that combination was I don't have time for this. Here's what we're going to do. And having lots of ideas and it seemed like it was working. And then you are super helpful for me specifically, because you can diagnose faster than I can what we need to change to make an idea work. And so that was very helpful. Like you were like my chat GPT, just resolving (laughs) all the problems very quickly. And it's like, great, I can focus on this other stuff because Ryan's going to figure out the rest of it. Yeah. Was that a fair assessment? Yeah. Will gave me that exact feedback after when really yeah when i was driving yeah, him back to Duke, yeah what do you say he's like it was very different than when uh will and i practiced because i was just driving the bus the whole time and he's like oh yeah, yeah when in co-op it was seemed like james was in charge and you were just kind of helping out and fixing things as, as we went along but do you think it's always like that because i don't think it is right like i don't think when we built the routine with pavel I'm just trying to defend myself that I don't think I'm usually going in and being like, here's how it's going to be. I think that was unique to the circumstance and there's nothing wrong with doing that. I'm not going to say I think it's very, it's a good tool. It's like one of the ways to do it. And it has yeah. like a lot of benefits being like very efficient, but it's, yeah, I just want to be clear. Like there's, it's perfectly fine also to have a much more democratic process. Like they're both fine methods and I'm was surprised by myself even that, I took over so much. We're going to have a whole episode where we debate that because I I have a strong opinion that collaboration weakens the process. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can't wait for you to be on that hot take island. I, you might even be right about it, but it's just so, it sounds so bad that I just think people are going to roast you for it, but we'll see. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's interesting. Hopefully, Hopefully people like it though. I I was really surprised at how much I liked the routine in theory. And there really are some cool parts kind of going back to the beginning about there are days where you feel like there's all kinds of 
unexplored parts of freestyle. That's how I felt building that routine. There's so many times where it's like, oh, like, why don't we do this? How come we've never seen this before? This is so obvious. What a easy, great idea. And then it would work. That is so true. In the routine, there's probably five throws that I've never done before. And we just yeah. put them in. And they worked. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, it's cool. Uh, I'm excited. All right. Anything else on that? Nope. That's all I had. Okay. Well, then keeping with uh, routine building... We got a message from Andre where he sent us a routine he did with Daniel from Munich. And I've already watched it and given him feedback and he agreed for us to talk about it on the podcast. But have you seen it yet? Nope. I am a terrible friend and I haven't watched it yet. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm glad we could affirm that you're a terrible friend. <laughs> Who I'm picking up at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Um, let's pull it up on YouTube and take a look at it. And okay. I'm sure we can put a link to this in the description. Oh, is, but, I only have it through Telegram. Do you have, is there a public somewhere? Oh, I bet uh, it's, it's on the stream at least. So I can put the well, link from the stream. I'm texting you a link to YouTube where I watched it like a normal person. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So I got. The, it is unlisted in fairness. You're all right. It's unlisted. Okay. Okay, I'll watch it from YouTube. Okay. Okay, let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Three, two, one, play. Okay, so we'll talk over it in real time. Yeah, it's a little hard to hear the music, like even if we weren't talking over it. Yep. Okay, so two discs right away. Two self-throws too. I have mixed feelings about that. So this is their super complicated two discs section where they're trying to mirror and pass it to each other Mm -hmm. i don't think i gave this feedback beforehand but i should have told them to be closer together yeah we'll talk about that that was on my notes (laughs) okay this seems a little early for ud and a little early for an indie but he hits the music cue yeah i'm happy because i can see andre i know we talked to him a lot about form and i can see him trying to do it better and starting to succeed. And I think with a little bit more time, he's going to really have it down. That set was a little aggressive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. See, I think the form on that Flamingo is a lot better than I've seen from him in the past. Right. Okay. I'm trying to, it looks good. So I'm trying to remember what it used to look like. Those are the tough ones where you miss a scarecrow like that and it just goes flying out of your hand. Yeah, it's probably also one of those that you hit nine times out of ten in practice. Yeah. Okay. Was that worth the reset for that upside down gyptosis? Probably. Yeah, it also, is in the judging system. <laughs> this is so narcissistic, but one of my favorite moments when we were building a routine with Will was when Will was trying to set me a <laughs> scarecrow and you were just like, no, 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 James will get that. Just set it out there. You kept trying to be like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And he was trying to do it so well. And you were like, no, 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 just throw it in the air as high as you can and he'll figure it out. <laughs> Quick catch. It needs more movement here. Okay. I, had I a think comment I mentioned about the that no disc movement yeah, before. So I was like, you have to switch. This was even Frisbeer feedback where Andre was asking for advice and I was like moving around just makes your game way more dynamic. 
Yeah. And they're kind of stuck side by side the entire routine here. I like this sequence. It's kind of working for me. So I usually don't like it when you're doing the really long, slow delay restricted passes to each other, but that one is pretty smooth. I think I would really like this song if I could hear it better, which is a audio problem, not a their problem. But I don't think you would like this song. Yeah, Andre asked me about it before and I was like, it's good enough. It's kind of a it's in the vein of what I played to with Graf in twenty nineteen of an instrumental rock song. Like it has the highs Ooh. you need, but it doesn't quite yeah. have the lows. Wait, was it like a okay. kick save at the end? It was a kick not save, unfortunately. Oh, okay. All right, I wrote a detailed analysis of this routine, but I'll let you start us off. Okay. First thing for their skill level, I thought they executed the routine well. Like they should be okay. happy with that performance. And what like yeah just off the cuff that's like my whole summary i would say more dynamic move it around like they told me they're going to be indoors so the wind doesn't matter but i think they got stuck in one direction and if there was more rotation it would just have a better general impression automatically but like, well, i i wrote a nine point plan to okay. improve this routine i'm exaggerating a little bit there's nine <laughs> points here but i don't i wouldn't call it a nine point plan these are the nine things that i wrote on a list and sent to them so my first thing was less indies i think that i think it stood out to me that the third or fourth combo was an indie and we were talking about this before but i don't think you need to do indies anymore if you're building a routine and you have any amount of time to do it because Routines are only three minutes in pairs. You might as well put everything into a co-op and you can do everything you want to do in an indie as a co-op and it's just worth more and a little bit more exciting. With that said, we have three indies in our co-op routine, but they're kind of overlapping and we had not enough time. <laughs> it was <laughs> a gap filling measure that we did because we were not going to be able to finish the routine to time. Um, but yeah, I definitely... I can't imagine doing like two or three indies in a routine now. What do you think? They have to be quick and high diff and overlapping. Yeah. Like you need multiple discs to do indies now. Yeah, especially if you have them built into the routine. Because if someone drops their indie and now they have to throw it to the other person, the other person now has to do a 30 second indie. <laughs> that's just not not going to work. Yeah. Okay, my next, my next point here, which is a classic philosophy of mine that not everyone agrees with i said try to have less downtime so that meant not only time where they were just kind of delaying the disc waiting to set up the combo probably also waiting to set the combo to the music as they planned it but also less time between throws less time of everything just everything they did we would have done in half the amount of time mm -hmm. and then we would have had a whole nother half of the routine to do i would say that's that an advanced learning so you have to learn how to play slow first, then you start speeding it up. I totally agree with that. I think some things you can do at at least an intermediate level. Like for instance, you can definitely throw sooner if you are a less skilled player. 
You think so? I always tell people the opposite. I'd be like, take your time on the throw. It's the most important part. You know what is funny? I played Ultimate today and there was this 15 or 16 year old I was playing with. And today was a loosey goosey day. So I was doing a lot of freestyle stuff. So this kid was pretty fired up about that. But the thing that he got the most fired up about was when I did a really quick throw. Like I just caught it and threw it super fast. And he was so <laughs> blown away by that, which I thought was both amusing and insulting. It's like, did you see me hit the like crazy scarecrow covered in the end zone? Didn't care. But when I just threw it really fast with a little bit of an air bounce, he thought that was sick. So I got, I kind of get that some people have a lot of trouble getting the disc off quick, but at least you can take out the time that you're standing there preparing to throw. But big picture, as much as you can press it, do it. But you actually remind me of another thing on the advanced part. I was playing recently with a player who I think is a pretty advanced player, but I think the thing they're missing from their game is that compressed. I need a better word for this. I'll call it like tempo. They need a faster tempo. So for instance, and I saw this a little bit in the routine we just watched, consecutivity really has two parts, right? At least, well, it depends how you define it. Okay, <laughs> rabbit hole. James rabbit hole, brace yourself. So when I learned about consecutivity, I was first taught that it meant doing restricted moves back to back. And then I think in 2015 at Worlds, and this is when we were trying to introduce a consecutivity bonus to the judging system, there was a tutorial about consecutivity that Matt and Lisa were hosting for the competitors. And I remember being very honored because Matt asked me to demonstrate consecutivity versus non-consecutivity. And I was doing it in terms of restricted moves. And Matt was like, no, you don't have to do that. It's more important that you have a consistent tempo. And I never really thought about it that way. So the way Matt viewed consecutivity was as long as the moves were strung together at a consistent tempo of some sort, mm -hmm. that was consecutive. And it didn't necessarily matter that it was all restricted. And I tend to think he's right about that. I agree. Because it can look really bad if you do a behind the back pull, pause, or like, I, I don't even know. It's hard to describe how you do it, but like you can put a bunch of restricted moves together where there's a long pauses in between it. So maybe here's a good example. Like you do a behind the back pull straight into a grapevine pull, but then you rim drag out that grapevine pull for 10 seconds <laughs> and then you pull that behind your back and catch it. That long rim drag completely destroys your consecutivity, even if technically the three moves you did were all strung together. I agree. So yeah. I tend to say now that there's kind of consecutivity and consecutivity plus consecutivity is consistent tempo. And that's great. Consecutivity plus is consistent or consistent tempo in addition to putting together moves that are restricted. Now restricted has a broad meaning. doesn't mean everything is under your leg or behind the back. There are things that are restricted that are not restricted in a literal sense. Like a roll would be restricted, even though it's not <laughs> hindered or like blind things, whatever, you know what I mean? But um, all I was to say, I was playing with a really good player who plays, it's like a rare combination because usually their problem is you're not playing with against you. Sorry. Usually the easier thing to do is play with a consistent tempo and it's harder to make everything restricted. This person had the opposite problem. Everything they were doing was restricted and strung together, but they didn't really have the tempo part. So coming back to the routine, I just think they had a lot of putting moves together that were restricted, but they didn't always have that flow. 
And a lot of times I think that happens to players who otherwise play with consistent tempos when they're in routine mode and they're thinking probably too much about the music or maybe the music's not really the right tempo for their game or the routine they built Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like I always tell people somewhat controversially, once the routine starts, ignore the move, ignore the music at every opportunity where it's convenient. Because if you get too caught up on hitting the music and you sacrifice the freestyle too hard, it starts to look bad. Now there's a million exceptions to that, but I do think I've been victim of this before too. Like I'll give you a great example. I think there's a couple times in 2012 when I was playing Paganello where I had the disc and I was delaying it. And I thought the big music cue was pretty close. And I wildly (laughs) underestimated how much time was left. And so you're sitting there for a full seven seconds, just delaying the disc and everyone's looking at you like, what are you doing? And then when you set it to hit your big catch on the music, it's so comically disproportionate to you just standing there doing the delay that it is in the uncanny valley of weird (laughs) freestyle music hitting. But anyway, so just general tip, it's, to the extent you can try to get everything put together. And also just a reminder that as we all know, consecutivity tends to be what really separates the best players mm-hmm. uh, and focus on that. I have a thought it's on that. It's just so yeah. powerful. Go for it. So people who hear me talk know that I think freestyle is ugly and it like, yeah. if you were to watch a dance video, it's pretty to a lay person, but if you watch a freestyle video, they would think it's ugly but I think consecutivity yeah. is one of the things we are good at. Like it looks yeah. good to everybody. And like in another podcast segment, we should talk about like replacing AI with consecutivity. Like that's all that matters on the, cause we're good at it. And if people try and do it more, I think it would improve our routines. That's pretty interesting. I have a lot of thoughts on that, but we'll save it for another podcast. But I do agree with you. That's actually a good point. I think I've, come close to having that idea, but never quite articulated it that clearly. But yeah, I think another way, I think the way I thought about it was that consecutivity hides a lot of blemishes. So there's a lot of players that I think technically kind of have pretty mediocre to bad form, but they play so consecutively that it doesn't really matter. It's still exciting to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think relatedly, I'm at the point where there's really only two types of freestyle that I can watch and enjoy. And ideally both of these things are happening, but it either has to be consecutive or it has to be beautiful or ideally both. And if it's not those two things, I get super bored and we'll stop watching pretty much immediately. Now you know how I feel. Yeah. There's a whole meta narrative in our friendship where you're just five years ahead of me on the curve. There were so many years where I was just, so frustrated with you because you were such a Debbie Downer about freestyle. But I guess it just took me a little longer to get to similar conclusions. But I think, you know, in our defense, a lot of it is just having higher and higher expectations. So that's just, that is probably what should happen. And it's just a natural part of freestyle. Okay. The next thing we're only at point three, but I think some of these are shorter (laughs) and the next one's very similar, but I said, I would cut out all the pauses where you expect audience interaction. Now, this one's also kind of a rule that you should break where appropriate, but I don't typically like routines, especially if you're not a super skilled player where you are planning to do a big move 
and then fire up the crowd for the next five or 10 seconds. <laughs> like You have the big catch and you're just expecting to have your arm up in the air and have everybody cheering for you. And the reason I don't like this is a few. One, if you just think of it in the competitive format, especially now, that's just five to 10 seconds. You could have been scoring more mm -hmm. points that you weren't getting because you were trying to fire the crowd up. Two, it's a huge gamble, especially if you're not a top player, because if that combo doesn't work out and you have five second gap before the next part starts, it's just going to be super awkward silence. So I tend to not think the trade-off is worth it. And I totally get how cool it is if you do hit the big move and just have that moment where everybody's cheering for you. But I also tend to think you're going to have that moment while you throw the disc and the disc is flying in the air to your partner. Like that two seconds of the throw is enough time for the audience to give you their appreciation. But this is kind of a personal preference. So I can imagine not everybody agrees with me. What do you think? I think there's a way to do both, to get everything you need. So a common one is at the end of your, you catch your combo, balance is a big thing. So there's two ways. Mm -hmm. If you're on balance and you catch it, you can come out of whatever shape you're in, in some elegant form. And that's like the time there audience can clap yeah. and you're moving directly into the throw. So there's like a transition there that you get for free. We're doing two things at once, but if yeah. you're off balance, you can fall out of it in a way that's exciting and then get back to your throw. Yeah, like the crash and yeah. burn. Yeah. But even then, like I would say I'm fine with that too, but that's the, I would almost consider that's a continuation of the combo. Like you're not even done with the combo. You're still holding it. And it's the time where you're really just standing there looking at the crowd. That is the time I would rather get rid but of. But I would do that as your transition. Like there's, you can do both yeah. there. Yeah. I also think I just have this personal goal always, which never really works out this way, that I want the routine to be so good that people don't even have time to cheer. Like they're speechless. Like that's always my goal mm -hmm. is to just hook them and keep them the whole three minutes. And it's kind of impossible to do that. And for a good reason too. I mean, people are going to start cheering at some point, no matter what you do, but it's almost like the longer I can get them not to cheer, the more successful. I have I'm an having. idea about but, that. I was going to talk to you about it when I visited. So it has to be secret. That? Like we can't, I can't tell okay. what's going to happen, but it's a routine idea. It's a routine idea, which is already like but a deal breaker <laughs> for you. But, uh, yeah, I should say who you're going to do it with. <laughs> yep. That's why I always have to talk to you in person about it. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, a lot of people have been speculating on the retirement situation. First of all, we didn't mention that it was a total coincidence that we posted that on April 1st. It's not an April <laughs> Fool's Day joke. I am definitely retired. But of course, there's a reasonably good chance that I'll sporadically compete for one reason or another. <laughs> like someone needs a partner at random tournament, maybe I would do it six years from now. I'm really bored and I go to, and you have your secret routine idea. Maybe I would do that. Like there might be exceptions, but the main point is that I don't really plan on building routines for worlds. As long as I can avoid it, I don't plan on doing three routines at everything. And I definitely plan on being as low ranked as possible as soon as possible. If everything goes well in two years, I will not be a, remotely ranked player in freestyle probably still have a high rating but <laughs> yeah. uh i should be out of the rankings from not competing yeah. anyways okay i'll be excited to hear your secret idea and hopefully it doesn't incentivize me to compete again 
Okay, the next thing I had on here was a general skepticism of disc mirroring sections. Now, I like these sections if they work that I can only think of. I actually can't think of any times it's worked, but I believe it could work, and I'm sure I've seen it work. I just can't remember any of the top of my head. And here's my concerns about disc mirroring. And to kind of put my point I just made another way, it's not so much that I don't like the idea of disc mirroring, but I think practically for where our sport is skill-wise, it's ill-advised for a lot of people who do it. Because one, it tends to be that both players have to really dumb down what they're trying to do so that they have moves that match each other. So people's best moves tend to be somewhat unique to themselves. And so it's rare that both partners can do the total combo. Two, even if they can do the total combo, they tend to do it at different paces and with different form and also different orientations, which is really key and I'll come back to. So that kind of defeats the mirroring. So the orientation thing is especially key. So for instance, let's say you and I are doing the classic like double spinning pull, double spinning pull, double spinning pull, double spinning catch. It's pretty rare. I feel like you and I maybe could do it, but it's pretty rare that people truly do their double spinning pulls that are full 360. Some people are going to be more like 340 and some people might even be 370, (laughs) but they're probably not 360. So what happens is they start out mirrored, but eventually one's facing like 180 degrees the wrong way and it's no longer mirrored. So even if they somehow hit the same moves and hit the same timing of those moves, their orientation gets out of whack, which is almost the worst thing because in order for the mirroring to really work, you have to be mirrored. But if you're facing different directions or not, kind of true mirrors of each other it stops yeah, working it's too for precise as a low roi yeah exactly the roi is the best way to put it so that's how i think i described it to andre of like okay you took 30 to 45 seconds of your routine to do let's just call it two combos it's really four combos because they're mirrored but you're really doing two combos with your partner and the combos individually aren't that exciting because you had to really scale them down And so you're not getting that many points for them, but they're still really high risk because you're probably stretching yourselves to hit the mirror part. But then they also did mirror disc combo level two, which is a bad level two, which is not only did they do the part where they mirror each other, then they try to do the double disc spinning pass (laughs) where they trade disc in the middle of the combo, which could be so cool, but it so rarely works because the cushion you need on both sides to get the timing right really slows it down. So just how I described at the beginning about how you want to compress everything and you don't want to be kind of sitting there delaying it for a while. The two disc pass like that, a lot of times players are like, I'm going to sit here for five seconds and you're going to sit there for four seconds and we're just going to be delaying it, trying to figure out (laughs) when to time it. Like if you have to count one, two, three, go and during that time you're sitting there delaying it it's probably not worth it and look like i'm sure there's some people shaking their boots right now that's the wrong idiomatic expression but there's some people clenched fist out there being like i cannot believe you're trashing mirror dissections they're so cool again i think they're so cool in theory but they so rarely work out I like i'm assuming there was some carlsruhe mirrored sections that were cool but i honestly cannot remember any 
mirrored disc section where I thought, man, they nailed that. And that was so cool. The only thing I can think of is maybe one of the Manu routine co-op routines where they have three discs. I was thinking about that, but I think they're almost always staggered. So there is a routine with Marco, Manu, and Andrea Poli in 2013-ish, which is one of my favorite routines. I think they did it in Paganello 2012. And it was very much about having them be staggered. And staggered is great for a thousand different <laughs> reasons, but one of them is it lets each person go at their own pace and you're not relying on the mirroring. But it also has hedging advantages. It has timing advantages. It has scoring advantages. Staggering is kind of the way to go over mirroring, but I'm ready to be proven wrong. Again, all these rules are meant to be broken, I think, at least most of them. But that's that's a siren's call. A lot of people get convinced that we're going to do a sick <laughs> mirroring dissection. And every time it starts, I'm like, oh, here we go. This is going to take 45 seconds and they're going to do four moves. And it's usually going to end up with many drops. Uh, I think I do it too sometimes. So, you know, I'm not about it. It happens to all of us. We get, we get called yeah, into it. I've thrown to you for a mirrored double trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think I dropped that one. <laughs> okay. N number five. Ah, okay. This one's a good one. I said, not only to try to do more co-ops, which relates to my first one, do less indies, but I said, try to have more co-ops with more exchanges. So I noticed with Andre and Daniel's routine, which is what this is really all about. And by the way, like big congrats or like big applause to Andre for letting us do this. And like you said, I actually think it was a really great routine for their level of skill, but this is what you get when you <laughs> ask me for feedback on something. And I, I send all this to Andre and said, can I do this on the podcast? And he said, sure, which is the super good spirit about it. So appreciate it. So anyways, not only have more co-ops, but have more exchanges in their co-ops. So what Andre and Dino did a lot of is the one exchange co-ops, which I think are, might as well not be co-ops <laughs> anymore. Or so they're like, I throw to Ryan, Ryan does three moves, he passes to me, I do three moves, I catch it. That is basically two indies with a rim pass in the middle of it. It's not really a co-op. It doesn't flow very well. It's very, this is the same thing, I guess, but in other words, very disjointed. And people do it all the time. I think probably almost every co-op should have at least three exchanges it should really be you throw i pass you set to my catch which also has the advantage of rotating who's catching and who's throwing and then also as much as possible one touch really it's not truly mm -hmm. one touch not like mob up one touch but it's really like you do move i do a move you do move i do a move and that's really when it looks very professional it looks very much like a routine that a lot of thought was put into and it wildly improves the flow so we'll get to this on a later point but you talked about movement so a really nice routine is just always movement just like how a combo for an individual can be consecutive and have a consistent tempo an entire routine can be consecutive and have its own tempo so in a perfect routine you and i are constantly moving constantly passing and neither one of us has to spend too much time looking at the other person. Like when our routines are at their best, and this is probably more like 
sections of a routine are, that are at their best. While you're doing your move, I am moving to the next place that I need to be for the past that I know is coming. And so we don't even have to, we don't even have time to watch mm -hmm. each other because we're always moving to the next space. And I think that works better, yeah. right? It's like clockwork where there's like a bunch of gears all turning in synchro. In synchro. Yeah, and I don't even think, I almost want to, this is in real time. I didn't say this to Andre because I'm just thinking of it now. It's not necessarily that more exchanges is better. Like having nine exchanges is better than three exchanges. It's almost like two exchanges is bad, three is good enough. And the difference between three and everything after, I don't really care about because I do have a philosophy that not everyone agrees with, but I feel pretty strongly about, which is that catching and throwing are other kinds of exchanges, really. So like, <laughs> if we do a three exchange combo and a three exchange combo, that's to me not only the same as doing a six exchange combo, it's better because we got more catching time and we had more let's call it like uptime, like, like time where everything is maximally safe and efficient because we don't, we're not nine moves in hoping that everything worked out the way that we planned. But if we do one, two, three, one, two, three, right back to back from a flow perspective and a tempo perspective, it's the exact same as doing a quick six exchange combo. So all this to say, I don't necessarily think you need to do longer co-ops with more exchanges despite what i said it's more like minimum of three and then no matter what you do try to make sure it's really back and forth back and forth and not you hold the disc i hold the disc mm -hmm. so last way to think about this which i've talked to you a lot about lately because i've been watching a lot of basketball so in basketball they talk about people being ball stoppers <laughs> it's like when you give that person the ball they have to dribble for a while before anything happens and ball stoppers are bad so we need a word for that, but I think it's fine for us to use ball stopper, even though it's more like flat ball stopper, but you don't want any ball stopping. Like you don't want to throw it and have that person dribble. Like we need a concept of dribbling. Like dribbling kind of is the anti-consecutivity. Mm -hmm. Like, are you sitting there dribbling? Whatever that is. A lot of times that's a bad delay or just like a long rim, whatever. You're just killing spin, killing time. That's dribbling. Don't dribble mm -hmm. in our sport. Don't you can practice that. that in the jam. There is momentum. Like when a co-op builds momentum and then you like one touch it into the catch that's like what everyone should be trying to do like you're building momentum like a crescendo you can do it in the routine classic classic ball stopping is you're on a brush run you've done like 10 <laughs> crazy brush passes and then someone delays yeah. it i actually love this because obviously we teach a lot of new players here and i love it when the brand new player is going for a delay off of like what should be a brush or a kick or a tip. And I see the other players that are more experienced. I see their hearts drop <laughs> and I, and I'm just like, yes, you've learned like you've internalized this thing already. That's kind of hard to describe, but I like, okay, they get it now. They understand how bad it is when someone delays like that, which of course the new player has no idea. That's all I know to do. But, um, I always take that as a good sign. Like we're healthy. We know that <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to do. Okay. The next thing I said is just more variance across the board. So some of this is kind of contradictory. I'm realizing, but I think it's just about balance, but have some longer combos, have some shorter combos, have combos where you're really close together, have combos where you're really far apart, have high spin combos, have low spin combos. Just any way to introduce variance is good. 
So one of my main criticisms of this routine with Andre and Daniel is from my computer screen perspective, Andre was basically on the left the whole time. Daniel was basically on the right the whole time. And they stood, whatever it is, approximately 25 feet away from each other Mm -hmm. the entire time. And that's it. And I think, A, I wouldn't stand as far apart as they did, which we can come back to. I think that's my next point. But no matter what, mix it up. Sometimes you should be close. Sometimes you should be far. And if you take all the advice we said before, you should be moving a lot. So I know we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into that more, but it's sort of like the point of the combos is to make us move. So yes, it would be more efficient for you to stand there and me to stand here and just throw it back and forth. But efficiency is not the point of freestyle. The whole point of freestyle is inefficiency. How can I make it as hard as possible to catch this (laughs) disc? Everything everything is getting in the way of ourselves. So obviously there's still ways you can get in the way of yourself that we don't like, like dribbling and ball stopping, but you get the idea. So anytime you can do something different is better. And I think like when we were building the routine with Will, for instance, there's lots of times where it's like, oh, like the wind should be here. I guess you'll have to move down there. And it's like, great. I'm glad you have to move down there. That's mm-hmm. perfect. Like that's just more movement. That's more variance. Or I'm glad that you have to switch positions here, whatever it is, but anything that keeps it different. Okay. You said this. I agree with this. This was my number seven. Be closer together. So I think there's a few things here. And this is definitely in the category of not everyone agrees with me. So yes, having the disc in the air is great. And I think it's great to have sections in your routine where you're far apart for whatever reason and the disc is flying. That's fine. But freestyle is close mm-hmm. together. And it's one of the most significant distinguishing features of freestyle versus every other disc sport is that we stand really close together. And I also think routines, you should be much closer, not much, much is a strong word. In routines, you should be closer together than you are even when you're jamming. Jamming, you need the space because you almost need the time to react to each other. But routines, you know what each other is going to do. So you can be closer together, which has a few advantages, mostly that you can build more flow because you can keep the disc moving faster and have the passes be faster without breaking up your tempo. So if you think about how individual combos that are consecutive are so smooth and flowy. If you do a routine right, your combos with each other are like indies. They're built so that you are an extension of each other. And that's when it looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast set or talked about it here, but we used to talk about when we were building routines of like, here's a cool indie idea. How do we make it? a co-op and not in the forced way of like, I'll do two moves and pass it to you. (laughs) Like we just talked about, but it's sort of like, here's this cool combo I have. Let's make it one person. And it's like we, a great example that we did. I'm not sure we ever, I want to know if you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking. So you say yours and I'll say mine. I'm, I'm almost positive. It's the same one. It was where I set you for your double spinning pull. Oh, you were thinking that. Okay. I was thinking the OG turnover, the, you, where you throw it vertical, I like turn it over, you like roll it UD and then I like get it back to you and you roll that one. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is two good examples. So mine's conceptually simpler, which is, and it's such a, it's a classic, like simple idea, but I never see anyone do it. So like normally 
you do a double spinning pull off of your own set. So we just thought like, well, if I stand next to you and I set it as if I was going to set my own double spinning pole, but instead of me doing it, you just do it. And it is way <laughs> harder to do because you have a lot of information when you're setting yourself that you use to get the pull off that you lose when someone else is setting for you. I think it's obvious that it's like generally harder to set each other than set yourself. But anyways, like that was a really simple one that was pretty cool and pretty hard. But yeah, you have a great point. So a really common combo in New York that I'm happy to say I see a lot now, like Katie Gimma does it a lot, like Chesco does it a lot, is the, there's a million variations on this. So basically like you do a turnover and then you do the upside down roll to yourself and then you do a catch often a scarecrow. So I think the key part of it though is that roll upside down to yourself. Like that's a hard thing to learn and is a cool thing because you're rolling it upside down and getting it back. So we just took that combo and split it between us. So like I turned it over to you, you set that back to me, I rolled it back out to you and then you set it to my scarecrow. And it was really hard, <laughs> but it was one of our favorite combos. But like that, that's an example of like we had to stand really close together because we we're basically recreating a move that I would do by myself, but putting you into it. And one measure of the success is that it didn't take us like from a time perspective, it took about the same time for it to be a co-op as it did an indie because we really were an extension of each other. Mm -hmm. Would you say there's multiple ways to disassemble an indie to make it a co-op and like some ways of dividing up the moves is way better than others? What do you mean? So what like do you have in mind? that, uh, I'm trying to think if we can do it on the simpler, you set my double spin example. It's like the division is you set, I pull, but what is there a way to like make it divide it in a different way? So like I, it might I be too simple. You, you might have to do bit, another one. Yeah. To, it's hard to articulate it. Like another example that a lot of people do is the amphibian as a co-op, which is kind of interesting because I think for most people it's easier as a co-op mm -hmm. than an indie because of the spacing of it. But it, it, the division works better when I mean, I guess it's always, this is always true, but like when the transfer between people is when the disc is like in a continuous arc in the air. So it's tough to say, cause like the bad examples are technically the same thing of like, obviously the disc has to go in the air generally for you to switch between your partners. But it's sort of like, if I can set it in a way that the disc is going to use its natural flight path, but instead of falling back into me, it's going to fall into you. And that's when it works well. It's like the double spinning pull works because like I described it, it's a double spinning pull set that would be perfectly acceptable for me to take myself. <laughs> but then I'm kind of just stepping out of it and you're stepping into it in my place. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah. But I kind of mm -hmm. see what you're getting at, but it's hard to figure I out. I can't think of two examples. Yeah, it really needs a good A and B. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I mean, part of it too is no, at no point should the exchange be under the leg, slow delay set. <laughs> like maybe another phrasing of it is the exchange should never be something that's time independent. Like everything has to be time. If it, it has to require timing or it's not okay. going to look cool. I was trying to figure out but how if to, it's sort yeah, of like, that's good. Right. So like an example of where timing, it doesn't rely on timing is I do a behind the back pull and then I set it under my leg flat to you. 
So I can take as much time or as little time as I need to set it under my leg to you. And that takes all the excitement out of it. It slows it down. It's not that interesting. It's kind of a filler co-op. Like the fact that we turned it into a co-op doesn't make it any harder. But like if I pull it behind the back straight into a shoot to your guy to set, it's sort of like once I start <laughs> the timing is set and it has to work or else it's going to fall apart. So that's maybe one framework for it. Like everything should have set timing and the co-op just has to fit into that timing. And you don't want to have big margins for error or it's not that exciting. I mean, there's something big picture that I think about sometimes, which is sort of like if it's hard or like what makes something cool is often part of what makes it hard. So sometimes when you're trying to cheat that, too much it's like yeah but now it doesn't I work see. anymore it's not i was cool gonna actually anymore. say the opposite of that is what is hard and well, what is cool <laughs> is divorced a lot of times i mean we talk about a, we talk a lot about a key exception is a lot of times it's sort of like this is easier mm -hmm. and better <laughs> but this is almost like a different access of hard versus easy or it's sort of like the maybe it's about hard and easy in a coordination sense like if it's hard to coordinate that's what makes it exciting mm. but if it's easy to coordinate it loses its effect as a co-op so it's sort of like, yeah, technically you passed to each other there, but the coordination involved was so low that it wasn't interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's hard to mm. describe, but it fits into another big picture philosophy that we haven't talked a lot about on this podcast, which is I tend to think like have faith in the audience. I think sometimes we over, we over assume, oh, this is not the right wording and my words today are not coming out well, but we, I'll just go with the easy, easy example. We wildly underestimate what audiences pick up on. And yes, there's a lot that audiences don't get. I know that firsthand because when I first started playing, which I think I mentioned before, I thought Chris Baker and Daniel Nell were the same skill level. <laughs> I had no idea that Daniel Nell was a far better player, but Chris Baker, rest in peace, amazing, amazing person, amazing freestyler. So don't mean that as disrespect, but just like even me, like I didn't have a good vision for what was hard and what is not. But I just think all the time that people can really pick up on a lot of stuff that makes things cool. So for instance, I'm trying to think of exactly what happened, but I had the classic thing with Brendan the other day we were jamming and there is a group, I feel like this is the kind of phrase that won't age well, but now I still think it's appropriate to use someone to use it. But like a group of bros was walking <laughs> by in my estimation, like there's a lot of like backwards hats and tight shirts and everyone was kind of look like they lift heavy weights often. And I did, you know, a bunch of cool stuff and didn't get a lot of reaction. And then when they were close, I was like, all right. And I just hit like a triple barrel guidance and they start freaking out. And I'm like, they get that. Like they understand right away that that's cool and hard. Yep. Like they get it. So I don't know. And sometimes I guess all the reason I'm saying is I think sometimes, especially when we're trying to appeal to a lay audience, we over dumb it down we think like oh like they're not going to get that so i'll just do the easy under the leg pass it's like no that looks almost worse to the lay person <laughs> than it is to us they pick up right away that that isn't very cool anyway so be closer together one of my big tips um oh i have one addition cool. to that this is not this is okay. not routine no like built to choreography but do have you ever had the case where you're jamming at a tournament, you warm up with your partners and then you go out and like all the magic 
is gone. Like you just, you're so hot and warm up, but like it doesn't, it fizzles out in competition. So I think the biggest cause of that is you warm up next to all the other teams and you're playing very close together and you go out into this big space and you spread out and it is, it does not work. That's so interesting. I mean, that doesn't happen to me that much because I'm good enough to not to, to avoid that problem, but I see it on other teams all the time. I mean, I think that's part of it, but I also think I don't tend to play. I don't tend to put myself in a situation where that would happen. Like I'm not playing a lot before mm-hmm. I compete with my partner typically, unless that's something that they want. But that totally makes sense. I also do think that one of my hacks when a jam isn't going well is I get closer mm-hmm. to my partner. And I think yeah. that helps a lot. It's just sort of like, okay, we've been standing. I'm not good at assessing distances, but we've been standing 10 feet apart. I'm going to come touching your shoulder and let's do some super close turnover stuff just to mix it up. So I think there's something to be said about being closer together. I mean, Dougie fresh always calls it the micronesia jam. It's like when you get super <laughs> close like that, you're just in your, your tiny space trying to make it happen. So cool. All right. There's two more left. One of them, I'm going to save the better one for the, for the end. So my ninth one is kind of esoteric here. I must have been reaching at this point. Maybe I wanted to get to 10, but I didn't get to it, which is, I said, it's not only that you want to hit hard music. Sorry. It's not only that you want to hit hard moves on the music. You want to hit the right kind of hard (laughs) moves on the right kind of music. So I think what brought my attention to this is that it's hard to hear the music in the background of this routine that Andre sent us, but there was what I assumed was a big music cue where Daniel did a 50, 50 roll. 50, 50 rolls are really hard. I think they're actually crazy hard and not that many people do them. So on the one hand, he did the thing that we tend to really like, which is big music cue. You hit your hard move, but the problem is a 50, 50 roll is a quiet, hard move. (laughs) It's smooth. It's low key. And it doesn't, really work with like a big imagine dragons believer pounding bass music cue but that kind of move would still work really well in another important music cue like you might have the big chorus that ends and goes straight into a quiet bridge where the 50 50 roll would be perfect Mm -hmm. for that but it's it's almost I think about this sometimes when I'm building routines when I'm working with someone who doesn't really like the spinning stuff so much, but it's sort of like, it's seems so wasteful and like anticlimactic when there's a really big music cue and you're not in the air doing (laughs) something or spinning or hitting. Like it's gotta be something big and bold and loud when the music is big, bold and loud. And I think people miss that sometimes. And, I think even when we were building our routine, there was at least like one time where one of us said something like this, this music cue is more important than that move. (laughs) And we have to put something in that's appropriate for it. And sometimes that's hard to do because you built the combo and you just not ready to give it up. Classic sunk cost problem. But sometimes you're caught up in the thing that you know is cooler and harder and more exciting to you, but it does not fit the music right. So you got to think about that. Any other thoughts on uh, that? No, other than you can, you can rearrange your combos after you make them. That's a, yeah. Yep. True. True. I mean, I almost feel like we could make a chart of like catches and their intensity yep. level. Cause like intense, 
intensity is almost a good word for it. So like music has different intensity, freestyle moves have different intensity, and that spectrum is independent from the difficulty spectrum. So something can be extremely intense, but really easy or have no intensity, but be really hard. So like I think about how like Flamingo is a great catch. It's not a high intensity catch. It's like a soothing, calm <laughs> catch. Like a flying guy, this is always high intensity. So it is what it is. Okay, last one, we've already basically hit on this in every point because it comes up so much, but it's last now because it's probably among the most important things, which is just more weaving. <laughs> just weave at every opportunity you can. Weave in and out, switch, just... And you know, like when they do almost like a, I don't know what you call it, but kind of like a trailing light time lapse. It's like you imagine like Christmas like, lights. Uh, you mean, there's an esoteric, well, mm. let me come up with a maybe overly esoteric example. But have you ever done like a night photography shoot with lights? Light so painting? For the camera. Yeah. Light painting. I guess that's, I've never heard it in like a, its own context, but yeah, you're taking a really long exposure camera shot at night. And let's say the shutter's open for a minute. So the camera is recording what's happening for a minute to create one photo. You can take a glow stick and you can write out hello or you can write a message because the camera tracks everything you did. So just trailing light. If you were had a bird's eye view of a routine and trailing light, I haven't, that's the worst example. Let's do a better example. You've got paint on your <laughs> shoes. If you looked from a bird's eye view down at the field after you played, your shoe marks should be all over the field, crisscrossing every which way, moving every way possible. And that's when you know you've weaved enough. Like this is something that Daniel's amazing at, Daniel O'Neill. Just he uses the entire field and sometimes to his detriment uses well beyond the <laughs> field. I think there was a combo in Milan where he was just like behind the judging tent, just like going around the <laughs> world, just like he was practically in the Frisbee temple, like taking a bathroom break on a brush run. He was so off the field, but that's what makes it so cool and exciting. So just using the whole field, weaving in and out, being close, being far, if you do all those things, it makes the routine super dynamic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Anything else there? I feel like that was a lot. That was, no, that was a good analysis, I think. Should tell people okay. to send in their routines if they want this kind of dissection. Yeah. I feel like we wouldn't, first of all, we don't have to go hard on you if you, if you just want a light, a light touch. And I think, look, it's tough when you do a podcast about one subject, we're going to repeat ourselves a lot. I know we already do. And different routines would have different things that we'd want to emphasize or talk about. But I think this is a good starting point for the future. And these themes will keep coming up over and over and over again because they're super important. And, but hopefully if you take some of these ideas, even if you remember two of them and you put them into your next routine building experience, I think you'll be super excited with how it changes the results of what you put mm -hmm. together. And then don't blame me that Ryan jinxed us. And if you're super unimpressed with our. How did I jinx routine, us? I, I just said it was complex. I'm just saying you can't, you can't go on and be like, we got a sweet routine. It's going to crush. I don't think I said, just, I didn't say so any of those. Just, That's just your brain just speculated based on the facts that I said. I mean, 
I mean, you see, I mean, complicated. I mean, look, I guess complicated can't be a bad word, but the way you <laughs> used it, and maybe I was informed by other contexts, it was a little bit, a little bit dicey. But it is cool, and I think what's really exciting for me is to see how what we've done this year will follow Will in the future. Like it'll be very exciting when we see Will's first routine that he built on his own mm-hmm. somewhere. We'll see our imprint. Or not. or not you never know like i wonder if paul looks at what me and daniel do and thinks it's thinks like sees himself think, in it or not i think he I does because no i can see it yeah i mean certainly there's often more than one disc <laughs> so that's a lot of paul for sure okay cool i think yep. that's it then right all right with that i'll see you in less yep. than 12 hours so there you go all right. Well, with that, thanks for listening. Check us out at clockercounter.com. I think we still have a website. <laughs> I haven't checked on it in a while, but it's there. And we do still have a bunch of questions that I promise we'll do next time. We just have to make the effort to put put them on the Google Doc so we can answer them. But if you've sent us questions, we have them and we'll, we'll get to them. Somehow we haven't gotten desperate enough to... Uh, I feel like those are our, our safeguard in case we're really uninspired one day. But uh, cool. So check us out. Keep listening and uh, have some good jams. Talk to you later.